Welcome to the First Lady of Nutrition podcast. Anne Louise Gittleman is a New York Times bestselling author of over 37 books on diet, detox, the environment, and women's health. For more than four decades, Anne Louise has been regarded as a leading voice and visionary in nutrition and who has fearlessly stood on the front lines of holistic and integrative medicine. For more information, check out annlouise.com. That's A-N-N-L-O-U-I-S-E dot com. And here's your host, Anne Louise Gittleman. Hi, my friends. Anne Louise Gittleman here with yet another episode of First Lady of Nutrition podcast. We are now finding that we are ranking in countries all over the world, including France, Japan, Russia, Cambodia, and even the UK, as well as Australia. So keep listening, keep spreading the word. And today we're going to spread the word about SIBO, small intestine bacterial overgrowth. My guest is Christina Hauser, who is a survivor of SIBO and an author and a busy mom of three. So welcome to my podcast. Welcome to Christina. So Christina Hauser, you are a SIBO survivor. Tell me what that means, my dear. Well, SIBO is one of the most misdiagnosed disorders um, in the GI world. When I was trying to figure out what was, what was wrong with me, most GI specialists dismissed it completely. So it's, um, it, it's not a new area in, um, in gastroenterology, but it's definitely been uh, recognized more and more. It's being recognized more. So why, why is there such an epidemic? I mean, what is the root cause? I'm very interested in root causes. Why is it so, seemingly has popped out, uh, popped in out of nowhere? Is that true or it just hasn't been diagnosed? Um, I'd say a little bit of both. The number one um, reason for SIBO is food poisoning. So, you know, talk about causes. I think that our food industry definitely has a hand in, um, in the SIBO numbers going up. Um, but also it's antibiotics, um, overuse of antibiotics. And in my case, that's what brought it on. It's definitely our environment. Um, Europeans uh, tend to have lower cases of SIBO. And it, I think it's definitely the food quality. When I'm in Europe, I can eat foods without restriction. And then I come to the US and I have flare ups. So. Um, it, it also has to do with GMOs, uh, genetically modified foods. It's an interesting conversation and topic for sure. Is this life-threatening? It is not, but it can, um, it's not life-threatening in, in the onset, but it can lead to more serious disorders um, and discomfort. So tell, tell us how you were diagnosed. Now, obviously you're a survivor, you're a mother, you're an educator, you're a brand owner, you're out there being an advocate. How did you get diagnosed and how would most people get diagnosed? Is it with a breath test? It is, it is, but it's a frustrating process. Um, in my case, after the um, birth of my third baby, I felt like something was deeply wrong and it all began with brain fog and a rash and progressed quickly to extreme bloating, depression, and various GI issues. Um, but I was determined to get better. And it, I mean, I began on what amounted to be a health odyssey. And after two years of being told by various doctors that it was all in my head or related to postpartum, I finally connected to Dr. Mark Pimentel and Dr. Ali Rezai of Cedar sinai 
um, and they head up the MAST Center at Cedars-Sinai and are two of the foremost gastroenterologists in the world. Um, and thanks to them, um, I began on, on a path to, to healing, but it did start with a breath test, which is very easy to do. It's non-invasive, it's quick, um, it's not that expensive. And I just could not believe that most of the GI doctors I was seeing in Manhattan prior to seeing Dr. Pimentel wouldn't just give me a breath test. It's an easy enough thing to do. Um, so what did the, so is there a particular bacteria the breath test looks for? Is there one particular bacteria? Is it E. coli? Is it salmonella? No, well, it measures excess methane. So, which is a gas. Which is a gas. And if you have excess methane, that means that you have an excess growth of bacteria in your small intestine. And if you think of the bacteria, if you have an excess amount of bacteria in your intestine, that covers the lining of your intestine and prohibits nutrients from being absorbed. In my case, at the time of diagnosis, on paper, I was as healthy as can be. I was drinking green juices. I was eating salads all the time. I was vegan at times. I mean, every diet, you know, healthy diet you could imagine, I was on to try to figure out what was wrong with me. But once they also took my blood, my doctor said I was virtually malnourished because the bacteria was, was a barrier to all the nutrients. So was this... Now, to remind us again, was this due to bacteria overgrowth because of antibiotics or food poisoning? It could be both, though, is what you're saying. It could be both. And there's no real way of knowing. But in my case, I do believe it was antibiotics because I was suffering from, um, I had a severe infection and had to take very strong antibiotics. Which, those, which one did you take? This was after the birth of my, this was 10 years ago, I forget. It was to treat MRSA. Um, oh, a very, very strong one. Very, very strong. Um, and right after that is when I felt that something was deeply wrong. And I already had two children and I very much understood what postpartum felt like and um, what postpartum issues were. And this was not it. So you took the test, you found these two wonderful doctors, thank God, who saved your life, literally, figuratively, and beyond that. And what did you do with that information? It was a process, you know, they, they diagnosed me and I come from a family who, who looks to both Eastern and Western um, medicine. And I said to, to Dr. Ali and Pimentel, well, if you were treating your wife, what would you recommend if she wanted to go down a holistic path? Because I did not want to take an antibiotic, which is no. the normal course to treat SIBO. And they looked at So me, what you're telling me, the normal course to treat SIBO is taking the antibiotic, which could have created it in the first place. Exactly. And as- Perfect sense in the medical model. Yeah. Now- 
it, some patients react well to it um, and fine, but I just wasn't willing to to gamble. And as and isn't there a particular antibiotic? I'm sorry to break in, but I'm so interested in the topic. Isn't there one that just stays in the small intestine that they use? Yes, and it is the one readily prescribed. I, I can't remember. I'm probably suffering from COVID brain, so forgive me. Um, but it is the another topic for another podcast. Okay, <laughs> sure is. Um, so I didn't want to take the antibiotic, and Dr. Rizai actually recommended that I go on an elemental diet, which is drinking feeding tube liquid ingesting it orally for 28 days oh to, starve, to starve all of the bacteria. Now, he said to me, no, none of his patients ever have ever done this or completed the course, but I was determined. I just didn't have time to be dealing with this. I had three little kids and a job and I had to get on with my life. And I said, okay, I'm going to do it. It was probably the most difficult thing I've ever done. It was horrific. The taste I can't tell you. I mean, my children and my husband vomited when they smelled it. it it's that vile. Oh my um, God. Did you lose weight? I lost 30 pounds. I looked emaciated. It was horrible. Oh. But it worked. Um, it worked and it got rid of the SIBO. But then about two months later, it flared up again. So over the course of a year, or 18 months, I did this elemental diet three times. After that, I, I followed the low fermentation eating plan that both Dr. Mark um, Pimentel and Ali Rizai created. And the combination of the elemental diet and following low fermentation eating um, kicked it. And so I've been fine ever since. So you're hitting a, a very important note here. Low fermentation. We're taught in the nutrition world that you need a high fermentation diet. So tell me why not low fermentation. Well, if you have a healthy digestive system. As most and, don't. As most don't. But if you're going, if you have a healthy digestive system, you should be having some fermented food, right? There are lots of benefits there, but if you have an imbalance and there is an overgrowth, you're simply just feeding the bad, feeding the excess bacteria and creating havoc in your system. So it's very important to find the right healthcare provider to help guide you. And unless, unless you have something wrong with you or, or unless there's a deficiency or you've taken antibiotics, you really shouldn't be taking probiotics. Um, and you shouldn't be taking, I think that all these food companies are just using probiotics and fermented food as a marketing ploy at the moment. You know, it's the same thing as, as the milk, as dairy companies were doing with, you know, extra vitamin this or vitamin that. Not everybody needs extra everything. Um, you have to tailor your diet specifically to what's going on in your body. So you're you're hundred percent cured, do you think? I think so. It's been three years now, um, and I haven't had a flare up. SIBO's tough. Once you have it, um, it the odds are that it will come back here and there. Um, but making sure that 
there are lots of things you could do. Making sure that you're drinking enough water, promoting motility is the number one thing. If your digestion is poor and you have poor motility, then most likely there either is a flare up or something's going on and, and you need to investigate. But how do you tell the difference between small intestine bacterial overgrowth and any kind of IBS situation or IBD? What is, is it the breath test that's the gold standard? At the moment, yes, it's the breath test. And Sorry. again, very easy to do. Can it be done in any lab in the country? There are many companies um, that you can order the test from online and send it in. So you don't even have to go into a doctor's office. You do need a provider to write a script or recommend it, but um, you don't have to leave your house to, to do the test. Now you wrote a cookbook. Tell me about your cookbook. The cookbook is based on low fermentation eating. And it is, it is a, a collection of family favorite recipes. You know, I wrote it because well, I wrote it because I wanted to share years of research and, and work to get myself healthy. I didn't, you know, I, I thought that maybe it could help some people, but um, it was also a great way for me to stay focused. I was determined to not, I'm, I'm a pretty efficient person and I was determined not to cook four different meals. For <laughs> oh my gosh. My husband, my children, and then any guests that would come over. So I figured out ways to use foods on, on the low fermentation eating plan um, that everyone can enjoy. Hi, my friends. Before I go any further, let me take a moment to, to acknowledge my sponsor, Unikey Health at unikeyhealth.com, which is your universal key to health since 1992. I have been a spokesperson for this company for over 30 years. They're the home of all my weight loss plans, the Fab Lasting Bio Builder, which has been featured in national magazines. They also carry the ultimate brain support and the magnesium multitasker. So whether it's weight loss, internal cleansing, or just targeted health support, go to unikeyhealth.com. Tell them Anne Louise sent you. So tell me about breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And I assume you follow your own program. I do. I do. Um, it's most, low fermentation eating is quite simple. It's mostly paleo without the beans and some cruciferous vegetables if you're having flare-ups. Um, but eggs, sourdough bread, we have a great recipe for um, avocado toast, a lot of what's on the plan um, has to do with moderation. You know, like if you have, if some people can't tolerate avocado, they may be able to tolerate a tablespoon of it. And that has lots of benefits. So low fermentation eating is a, it's, it's a great long-term solution to SIBO. Lots of people who have IBS or SIBO go to low FODMAP, which may be good in the short term, but low FODMAP can is nutritionally restrictive long-term. So low fermentation eating opens up your options a little bit. So there, we have lots of recipes like the avocado toast and the granola, um, and tell, tell me about the granola. I'm going to have some guests this summer that are 
SIBO survivors as well. What, what, what would I put in my granola? Well, the granola is grain free. Um, so be sure that, that your guests are happy. Um, nuts, a few, you know, some seeds, excuse me, I believe that there's honey in it. Very basic, simple recipe, but it's delicious. My husband loves it. My kids love it. Do you put oil in it? Coconut oil? Put, I'm pulling it up now. <laughs> Good. Because <laughs> I'm going to take notes. Yes. Do you not have the book? No, I need you to send me the book. I'm going to send you the book today and you don't need to take any notes. There are recipes for Bloody Marys, cocktails, um, the cookbook is fantastic because I love to entertain. And so um, some of these recipes you can put together for dinner parties. Um, one of my favorites is the pulled pork, which is amazing. Everything, truly. I, it's funny because I wrote this a few years ago and I didn't forget about it. I still cook from it often. Uh, but only in the recent months since the publication did I pull up the book and started actually cooking recipe by recipe. And they're all very good. The chocolate coconut um, cashew mousse is fantastic. I recommend yes. So who would, do, who would need this cookbook? Tell us again the name of the cookbook so my people can run out and buy it. Is it on Amazon? It is on Amazon and everywhere books are sold. It's called the Good LFB Cookbook. And it's a companion to the Microbiome Connection by Dr. Ali Rezai and Dr. Mark Pimentel. The gastroenterologist, lovely. Yes. So people that have small intestine bacterial overgrowth, IBS, IBD and other GI problems could benefit. Absolutely, they would benefit from this book. The only disorder that um, I wouldn't recommend for this diet is celiac because we definitely use some flour here and there. I see. Now you talked a little bit about breakfast. Tell me about lunch and then we'll move on to dinner. Um, lunch, again, the pulled pork is fantastic. Sandwich, we have some salads. Salads are tough um, when you're dealing with SIBO because Tough, cruciferous, raw vegetables um, it tends to feed the bacteria and then add to um, bloating and various symptoms. But we have a green bean potato um, salad that's fantastic. We have um, bolognese, puttanesca. We have sauteed zucchini with red onions and lime. There's so many wonderful um, light salads. And so do you promote, do you, let, let me ask you this. Do you promote any nutritional supplements along with your program? Currently uh, in the book? No. I mean, the, the book is based specifically on the diet that both, the, both the doctors, you know, put together and researched over the last 20 years. Now we are working on, um, some medical foods that will be able to treat SIBO, but that's about a year, 18 months away, fingers crossed. I do hope um, to develop some supplements um, that will benefit SIBO sufferers. And what would those look like? Um, we're in development right now. 
So you'll have to have me on. (laughs) (laughs) Good, Good answer. But low probiotics, I assume. No, no probiotics. What about digestive enzymes? Uh, you know, I did benefit from digestive enzymes um, during, over the last few years. I don't take any now, um, but I have, and I have benefited from them for sure. Plant-based? Yes. Interesting. And is there anything you can eat to this day that may flare up symptoms? Personally, no, I am fully cured. I can have beans, I can have broccoli, cauliflower, any cheese, you name it. Wow, and that's because you followed an elemental diet three or four times. Yeah, and I do believe that following the low fermentation eating plan for a few years um, did it also. You need a combination. So do you at this point act as an advocate for other SIBO sufferers? Do you counsel? Are you a health coach? What do you do? Um, Well, in my wildest dreams, I didn't think that I was going to write a cookbook. My day job is real estate. Um, So of course, (laughs) yeah, right. This sort of came out of left field a little bit out of necessity, but I, my goal is to help people in, in, whatever way I can. I haven't been doing any nutritional seminars or um, anything like that. But yeah, I suppose I do consider myself an advocate and I hope that my story helps other sufferers. Do you have a website my people can find? We sure do. It's um, thegoodlfe.com. The Good LFE, which means life. Yes, and stands is an acronym for low fermentation eating. Oh, I love that. Very clever. I didn't even see that. I didn't even get that. Wonderful. And what would be your last parting words to anybody that's suffering from some of the symptoms that you overcame? Well, I understand how isolating it can be. It's a frustrating disorder. Um, but with some with some dedication. I do think that most people with SIBO can overcome it and you don't have to feel isolated. With our cookbook, you can have host dinner parties and feed your family and yourself all at the same time um, and enjoy gathering around the kitchen again. Can you go out to eat with a low fermentation diet? And if so, what do you look for? You can, you can. Um, Italian restaurants are easy. Any Mediterranean is fantastic, so grilled, uh, grilled meats and vegetables um, on the low fermentation eating plants, such as zucchini, are fantastic. Green beans, potatoes, um, some peppers on occasion. Um, sushi's great, or or cooked fish and a little and some white rice and vegetables. So you do eat some grains. I guess that's what I'm trying to get at. A few little grains here and there, small amounts. Yeah. But, you know, I, for instance, was eating large salads when I was diagnosed and that was, that was adding too much of a good thing. Exactly. Everything in moderation. Which is so difficult for most Americans. Sure is. (laughs) So what's next for you, Christina Hauser? Well, we, we at The Good Life are going to try to figure out 
some supplements and ways to help SIBO sufferers through the journey to from diagnosis to cure. And that's our goal. And how prevalent is this once again, so people understand this? Is it one in 20, one in 30, one in 40? It's, it's really difficult to pinpoint. Um, it could be as much as 15% of the population. Lots of people won't get diagnosed, particularly men, because they don't want to talk about their um, digestive bowel. tract, yes, or their bowel movement. And digestive tract. But, but we um, love to talk about all the above. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we have to, I mean, we all deal with this. We all eat and um, nutrition and absorbing nutrients is so important. Is this more prevalent in this country than other countries before we go? I think so. I think so. I mean, the quality of our food is, is quite poor. And the GMOs and the glutathione, the, the um, glyphosates and so forth and heavy metals and pesticides and herbicides. Absolutely. Um, both of the doctors believe that GMOs have a, um, are a contributing factor to this. What lovely enlightened MDs. Tell us their names once again. It's Mark Pimentel and Ali Rizai, and they have just written The Microbiome Connection, which is also out wherever books are sold. So that's a good companion guide to your fermentation cookbook, low fermentation cookbook. We wrote them together. So they are, they are definitely companions. Oh, companions. I love it. So thank you for being my guest, Christina. Thank you so much for having me. I want to thank you. I want to thank my listeners for listening yet once again to another episode of First Lady of Nutrition podcast, where we are trending in Europe, in France, in Germany, and even in Cambodia these days, so I'm told. So tune in once again. Have a lovely week of low fermentation, cooking, eating, and good life. Shalom, Vracha. May you be blessed. please don't forget to subscribe and like First Lady of Nutrition podcast. Thank you so very much.